Hi, and welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam, where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded. Land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and to any First Nations people listening today. Today I'm talking to Jake Reed at Neptune in Windsor. I've always had a soft spot for Neptune, so what better excuse to head back over there than a new head chef? Last year, after 12 years working in the UK across Michelin and boutique hotel restaurants, as well as running his own private dining business, Jake felt drawn to Melbourne. He'd been following some Melbourne venues on social media, but says when he sat down and ate at the likes of Old Palm Liquor and Liberty Bar, he knew he was in the right place and he couldn't wait to get stuck in. After a stint at Scott Pickett's Matilda, Jake has taken over the head chef reigns at Neptune, where he slightly steered the menu back towards its Mediterranean and smaller plate origins. Jake and I sat in the beautiful function room upstairs, and after our lovely chat, we went downstairs and he treated me to some delicious snacks. A really rich and tasty scallop with salumi XO, a punchy umami-filled eggplant toast with miso and cashew, and then a dish he's been playing with, and which I absolutely loved, a perfectly cooked potato cake with creme fraiche and the pop of salmon roe. Now, my two favourite things are great conversations and delicious food, and all my boxes were ticked. <laughs> Thanks to Jake and the team at Neptune for being so great. Now, I've tried out a new little sound effect just at the beginning of the podcast, um, well, just a little bit in, as a segue to me arriving and then going upstairs. Have a listen out for it. Let me know what you think. Enjoy the chat. Hi, Jake. Nice to meet you. You see, you okay? (laughs) Shall we sit somewhere quieter? Yeah. Yeah. Did you want to eat a little bit as well? It's alright. Sure? Well. I'll, I'll cook some new Friday. bits for you if you like. Thank you. It's alright. We have to have done this. We can. You can sit and rest. Amazing. If you've got the time, anyway. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. So I just record our conversation. It's just as it happens. So, okay. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> no pressure then. <laughs> no, that's right. I've listened to a few actually recently. Have you? They are very who, who did you listen I to? I listened to the guy from Freya. Yeah. That's the most recent, right? Yeah. Um, no, I've had a couple since then. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah, and I, um, I've spoken to a couple of chefs this week as well. It's been a really great week for me because I love having these conversations. Yeah, so it's yeah. been quite busy. How long have you been doing it for? I started quite a few years ago on a, in a, a different sort of level and I was just r- writing them up. Okay. Um, and then someone said, well, you're already recording them. Why don't you podcast? So probably yeah, I've been podcasting yeah. for maybe four or five years. It's so popular now, isn't it? People just put it on on Spotify and the headphones on their way to yeah, work and they get listened to you so much more. Yeah, nice. But um, I think the beauty of it is, it's, I mean, it's always great to hear people who are passionate about what they do and who yeah, really know yeah. what they're doing. And yeah. I like that it's, um, I mean, I love hearing stories, so. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of them. So. Yeah, and it's amazing too how, they, how different they are for, for all of the, the chefs, you know, 200 and so who I've spoken to. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's always a different story. There's so many different avenues you can go down, whether it's different cuisines or, you know, different starts to your career. Everyone's got a different story to tell, which is what makes it so good, I think. Yeah, that's right. So you... Um, how long have you been with Neptune? I haven't been here very long. No. I joined in no, the end of November last year, yeah. which was obviously 
very interesting time in hospitality. Yeah. Going into December, uh, you know, in a head chef role, it, it was it was a hectic few months, but a baptism of fire, if you will, really. You know, it's it's almost good to start with that sort of level of intensity mm. to see what it's like when it's like super super pumping. Yeah, and then uh, it quieten down. Here? It did it did yeah. quieten down in January. Um, I think the area where a lot of people go away, have holidays or whatever, or they've spent a lot of money over the Christmas period. I, I mean. In the UK, is the same as here. The hospitality industry has changed so much since COVID. You know, yeah. people aren't as willing to go out as they were. Mm. You know, so we have, you know, you have to really do things to pull them in. We have a few like offers and deals and stuff like that, and ways of trying to pull people in through social media advertising and stuff like that. You know, mm. this is, I was having this discussion last night with another chef, and then today at work, people were saying. Do you think people are um, not going out as much? And the, the conversation last night was around the fact that at the same time as the government has changed the award rate for hospitality, which is great, and it's great that people are getting paid what they yeah right what they deserve yeah. But at the same time, the cost of living is so like gross. Well, food is so expensive, yeah, yeah. and it has to be borne out somewhere. It has to be borne out in the menu. But then that yeah, must sure. mean yeah. that that cuts down the number of people that can come out or the amount. Of exactly. time they're going in. It swings and roundabouts. It seems it seems that like a lot more pressure has been put on businesses. You know, I mean, they're having to pay out more. They're having to pay out more for staff. I mean, I've, I've worked at places previous to Neptune where you have like casual members of staff coming in, and they might be there for one shift a week, and they're earning very good money mm. in a very short space of time. Right. Because it's just about getting bodies in. They need someone for the busy days, or you know, due to maybe inconsistency throughout the weeks, you might not need someone on the week, and then at the weekend you come and you have to pay these people a lot of money. Food prices have gone up. Everything is more expensive. It's really hard Where for smaller businesses. It, it's very it? difficult. I mean, even like ourselves, you know, we are so we have to be so mindful of margins, buying certain things in at certain times, you know, and trying to forecast the week. Cake, it can be difficult, you know. Mm. It's uh, it's it's one of the more difficult parts of the job. I mean, like making dishes, creating new things, presentation, all this stuff is is like the enjoyable side mm. that everybody wants to do and everybody wants to look at, and you know, but the 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 sort of underbelly of that of like trying to make sure that you're using everything up trying to make sure that there's not you're not holding on to loads of stock you know that, that you are making the correct margins on the things that you are selling the most of yeah it's the uh it's the less pretty side of the job i think absolutely and it's, it must be such a hard thing to juggle is this if you've been in a head chef role before this is my first i've wow. done many senior sous chef roles yeah so like in the uk i was a senior sous chef for about three and a half years mm. at a Michelin listed restaurant from then I went to work for myself so it wasn't necessarily a head chef role I went into private catering after that okay I did see that on your yeah. LinkedIn <laughs> <laughs> so post-covid really was very difficult time in the UK I mean I'm, I, I'm not sure about here but I'm sure it was hit in a very similar way we were very fortunate in the UK as everyone in hospitality you know, on a full-time salary got 80% of their wage funded by the government and then just all this free time that most people, you know, nearing 30, working from the age of 16, that's like nearly 15 years of blinkers on, just in the kitchen five, six days a week constantly. And then all of a sudden, here's two months now, you don't have to do any work, you don't have to work. And here's a very generous portion of your age. So I noticed it, especially in the restaurant I was in, we came back and like a lot of chefs were like, this isn't for me anymore. Yeah. This, I, I've seen another side to life that I didn't even know existed because I was so caught up in the industry. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, they're seeing their friends, they're seeing their family, they're getting outdoors more, they're probably eating better. And they're like, I don't want to do this. We went down from a team of maybe eight or nine to four. 
post-COVID, mm. which was extremely tough. Yeah, wow. You know? I hadn't thought of it like that, but that's, that's kind of, I guess, what we're having a bit of a chat about last night as well, is that people rethought their options. But exactly, That's yeah. why, yeah. Plenty of time yeah. to reflect, I think, yeah. Wow. And in terms of, um, you know, the, the whole food costs and things, is that the same in England? Is that... Massively, yeah. 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 They, we've struggled, obviously, like, post-Brexit and stuff like that. Oh, right. I'd like, because... We used to get a lot of things in, like things would come over from France or stuff like that. A, lot, a, yeah. few, a few imports, especially like your speciality game birds and stuff like that. The prices just skyrocketed. Um, for me, that's not necessarily a terrible thing because I think there's certain elements of putting a dish together where you could just say, okay, let's just buy a Wagyu porterhouse and serve it with a sauce. That's going to be a great dish mm. because you're using a quality piece of meat. Now, because of the food costs... People are having to dig a little deeper, probably get a little bit more technical with the stuff that they're doing and use cheaper cuts of meat or vegetables and stuff like that. And mm. the sustainability behind that, being able to use stuff that is cost effective, can be grown or, you know, is just easier to get hold of. It's more difficult, but I think it's going to push the industry in a, in a better direction. Mm. And I guess using everything, that zero waste um, aim. You, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to waste stuff no. now, especially like with, with such tight margins. And, you know, I think everyone has a little bit of uncertainty around how busy you're going to be all, all the time. So you, have, you really have to sort of dig deep to make sure you are making that money out of everything that you buy now. Mm. Yeah, so sort of where I was going before, so if you had, if this is your first head chef role, mm. there is a lot more involved, isn't there? There's the costing, there's the creativity, there's the um, the team building, there's yeah. teaching, there's exactly, yeah. um, all of those things you have to think about. I think across the roles that I've I've done previously, I've probably dipped my toe into all of those things. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. now it's a combination of bringing it all together, like, like I said, like writing the menus, the fun part, writing the menu, the this, this and this, and then you have to teach a team of staff how to replicate that the way that you want it to be. Mm. And then the onus is on you completely from that, you know. You write that menu, as soon as that menu's on, it doesn't matter who cooked it, prepared it, it's your, it's, it's your food then, you know, and your, your team's food is representing mm. what you're trying to show to the customers. So there is a lot more to it, you know. There's um, a lot of admin stuff, which, to be honest, is not, you know, I think most chefs will probably agree isn't a very fun part, you know, of, no. you know watching the margins, checking the invoices and stuff like that, making sure things are coming in properly. But it's all necessary, you know, and it's yeah. and it's good for the staff to see that as well. Even like for me, like making sure that the supplies that we get in are coming in of a high quality. We work with very good suppliers, so a lot of our stuff that comes in is always is great, but things do slip through the cracks, you know. What do you do in that case? I bring them up and tell them to give me my money back. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think you have to be like firm about that, not in a... In, in a passive aggressive sort of way but you just have to make them aware they don't want to be selling that stuff either no a, a lot of the suppliers we work with would rather be ring them up and tell them say look this is not good so they know then you know yeah. and then you build a relationship through just constant communication really and you know also yeah, not the guys that I work with but they're probably a supplier who think okay we sent them that a few weeks ago they yeah. didn't say anything I'll take it again so you have to really sort of yes. put a firm foot down and say look this is, this is the quality that we expect to come in yeah, and that's how you build that relationship with the suppliers, you know. Yeah, and did you? Um, so the new seafood focused menu came yeah. with you? No, before oh, me, just oh, before. Did, did yeah. You? Okay. So they're basically more around seafood. We've gone slightly, not back to how it was before, but we have introduced a few more meat dishes, a few more vegetarian dishes as well. There is still a heavy seafood focus, like we like big whole fish and stuff that you can share between the table. 
a couple of seafood dishes, lots of cured fish. Um, but there's some other bits in there as well. I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's probably seafood driven as mm. opposed to a seafood restaurant, okay. you know. We're using lots of seaweeds and stuff like that for oh, brines nice. and stuff. So we try and incorporate that sort of, that theme throughout the menu, yeah. And I imagine, you know, our fish and seafood is quite different. Very, to, very, to, to very, England, very um, much so. Or the UK. So, um, yeah, like how do you... I guess, I guess you just have to try different things. It's just a case of trying things, yeah. And see, I mean, to be honest, there is probably... There's similarities between the fish. You could say, oh, this is similar to what I would have used for this or this, you know. Um, one thing I have found about the fish over here, the fish for curing or ceviche is absolutely amazing. Oh. The fish is really good for raw. Um, the shellfish, again, amazing. But it has just been a case of just buying things in, seeing what works, you yeah. know. Um, I think in the UK we were very fortunate because it's, like, it's so easy to import stuff. Yeah. So we'd have like scallops coming down from Scotland and langoustines and then halibut coming from Scandinavia and stuff like that because we can get the import so easily. Mm, mm. Whereas here you sort of have what you have. Yeah. And I mean it's a But there's such a like there's such a good range of stuff that you can use, you know. Well I think we're still lucky here because I'm from um Aotearoa, New Zealand, and right. um, I was just reading an article that all of the scallops have been depleted in New Zealand and that they've had to be really firm. In fact, there's a lot of um, Maori tribes who take who look after fisheries yeah. and those kinds of things, and uh-huh. they've had to be really firm with people because they've they've fished them out and they've gone, and it was down to one little area. But when I read it in the magazine that I was reading, they were then saying, "But we can import them from Australia." I was like, "Oh, I just don't." It didn't quite sit right with me. I'm no, thinking, if, no. If you've learned your lesson, exactly, like you've yeah. exhausted yeah, yeah, yeah. a resource. You've got to let it grow again, and maybe don't go and exhaust. I mean, New Zealand's pretty small, so we're not going to exhaust Australia's resources. Sure, no, but I, just I think get that. We need to have that recognition that we are exhausting resources, and don't that's we? just going back to sustainability yeah. for me. Like seasonality is such a big thing. Using what's available and making the most of that, and it's not just because it's available; it's because it's probably it, it's the best of its produce at the time. When things are in season, even like fruits, vegetables, it's important to sort of work around what's so good at the time because you might pay double for something that's out of season but oh I want strawberries but they're not in season so yeah. why wouldn't you use something that is that's in its prime at that time and the same goes for the seafood as well I think yeah so is it um, like share plates here or is it not not necessarily we right. sort of it, it's a very relaxed dining style so we have like a few appetizers some oysters um, our bread that we bake fresh every day um, some entrees and then a, a small selection of bigger plates so we have the whole fish and then we have a really good porterhouse steak on the menu. We aim to put nice specials on on a Friday, Saturday evening. So we'll put something on the board that we might not normally have. We might buy in a, a tomahawk steak or a big cut or like a beef short rib or something like that that's a little bit different that would just be a little bit... We wouldn't want to sell that in the week because I don't think people realistically are coming out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to spend $100 on a steak, whereas on a weekend they might be more inclined to. Mm. So... Is it fun for you doing those? Does it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's stimulating, you know. I mean, as again, as most chefs will probably agree, you write these menus, you serve them for a month, and then like, because of the sort of creative aspect of it, you're like, I've seen this now. Yeah. You're still passionate about it, and you're still trying to like enhance things, make things a little bit better. But you do get itchy feet, and you want to keep creating more. That's just natural, you know. You want to keep evolving things. So the fact that we can do 
different specials on the weekend we buy different stuff in and have little projects ferments and stuff like that going on in the background as well as running our a la carte menu it is and it's great for the guys as well because it gives them an opportunity to try stuff or stuff that they might not have cooked before or seen before so yeah it just uh, it keeps us going in your style as a leader are you inviting input from them as always well? yeah 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 i've i mean throughout my career i've worked for like a multiple different chefs some who are like really like to see people's input and then some who are like no it's my food it's my kitchen this is what I'm doing and you're all going to follow suit for me that never personally worked I, I, I felt a little bit put out by that attitude you know and I think you're also closing a, a window of opportunity there I mean someone might be you know a level below you or not as experienced or whatever but they might have an idea that you wouldn't have thought of we've only got a small kitchen of four chefs but for me like Four tastes, four eyes, four smiles is better than just one, right? Yeah. So it's important that everyone understands how we're developing the dishes and how we're moving forward with stuff. Mm. And where did it start for you? Did you always know that you wanted to be a chef? No, to be honest, actually, I kind of fell into it. Mm. Um, I think I was 15 and I was just like handing out resumes at local restaurants, just trying to get a part-time job. And I was just washing pots and pans in a restaurant. I worked there for about a year and a half and I really liked it, you know, it was... Um, it was hard and it wasn't very it wasn't like nice work but I, I enjoyed the sort of the buzz and the atmosphere and you know and it was jovial you didn't have to be too formal about the situation you could turn up and have a laugh you know and everyone was like pally yeah you know where was that where'd you grow up I grew up just outside of Birmingham in the UK in a little city called Litchfield which has now got a really good the food scene's really starting to get pushed there now which is so nice to see so yeah just in as a dishwasher um, I remember the guy on the lot, there was like peach chefs on larder going in and out every week. It would be a new chef. They just couldn't get someone who would stick it out. And one of the chefs said to me, he goes, why don't you have a go? And I said, like, I haven't got any qualifications or ever even thought about cooking food before. You know, I might like whip myself up little things at home, but very, very basic, mm. you know, and I thought there's no way. And then the owner of the business came and said to me, look, if you want to have a go, come and have a go. So that's where I first started to cook. It wasn't so much in the prep as much as it was like turning up for service and the prep was done for me and I was just sort of like, you know, frying things, cooking things, plating things up. And even then, you know, I was enjoying myself, but I wasn't like, okay, this is it, this is my career. It wasn't until I went to the next place, which was a full-time role, because I had the experience of being in a kitchen on my resume, so I thought it just makes sense, you know. And then when I was fully immersed in it, I was there five days a week, I started to create a few things myself, see what works, see what doesn't that sort of gave me a real hunger and I went from there to start working in some really nice boutique hotels and that's when I went and saw like some really really serious chefs at the top of their game and I was like wow like this is this is now the direction I want to take having seen it at such a good level mm. you know so and I just went from there I haven't looked back since then I think I probably would have been about 18 when I first went into my first hotel yeah okay and yeah that's been it since then and really and so and, and where have you worked what so that was a, so the first hotel I went to was called Swinfern Hall, which is um, you don't have rosettes over here, do you? So that's that was a three rosette, um, big manor house. They do a lot of like weddings and stuff like that, and then they have a nice restaurant as well. A lot of tasting menus and a lot of gourmet dinners and stuff like that. Uh, from there, I went to uh, another hotel, very similar but like double the size. So this was like an eighty-five bedroom beast, and they had a big marquee. They used to do functions like two hundred people. You had a, and this was like the sort of kitchens you see where you've got like 15, 16 chefs running around, like it was like a rat run, you know, it was crazy, like all systems go, everyone pushed for time constantly every day. And I learned a lot about just like pressure, somewhere like that, you know. Um, 
from then on I did a few little inner city bistros and then the last place I worked before I went self-employed was a restaurant called The Boat in Litchfield which I was there for three and a half years and got up to the senior sous chef. I learned so much there. My head chef at the time, he had lots of experience. He'd worked at a lot of places around the world. He'd done stages at places like uh, Noma, 11 Madison Park. So he had loads of tricks and wow. he, you know, yeah. So he had, we did, we had some great projects there. Unfortunately, like bang in the middle of my period there, we were hit with COVID. So we had to yeah. shut the restaurant, but we didn't sort of stop there really. You know, we came up with concepts and we did loads of stuff like long projects like making misos making koji stuff that takes such a long time so we were monitoring stuff like that we also started to build in the garden we built a polytunnel a chicken coop and dug all stuff out started growing all our own stuff oh, so yeah. so we learned that's to be honest like for me that like the sustainability thing a lot of that came from that it's like seeing things from the ground up and then using it it's, it's just it's it must mass- change your relationship with it, it does massively yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you have a real appreciation for the food that you're buying in it's easy to get your vegetable delivery in the morning and just be like yeah chuck that way chuck that way that's it you know but like people are growing this stuff you know like it's yeah. it, it takes time and it takes effort from from the seed that goes into the ground to the food that gets put on the plate at the end of the day you know yeah. so and then the working for yourself was that private dining or catering? private dining or? yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and for me like it was just like the industry was in a little bit of a mess and i thought you know i want to i wanted a little bit of creative control over how i was cooking yeah because i felt like i was ready to take that step and um also it gave me an opportunity to you know take a lot you know it's not the same pressure as working in the kitchen which i did miss you know i missed the like rush of service because you are working on your own you do the prep on your own you turn up at someone's house and you cook meals it it was really nice to build a relationship with customers which is something i hadn't had before because i'd just be in their kitchen cooking while they sat at the table having a conversation with me and you meet all sorts of different people you know and you know it's nice to see that appreciation firsthand so it was good it was um, you know it, it gave me the opportunity to save the money that i needed to come over here mm. which was which was pivotal really you know and why, so you, you'd been planning on coming here? Or? I had for a while, yeah. yeah. I wasn't necessarily, to be honest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what brought me. I'd always wanted to visit Australia, you know. And, and for, for me, it's just a change of scenery, you know, to see how a different food scene works. Yeah. You know, I know Melbourne's food scene is, is so good yes. as well, you know, and I've yeah. followed a few restaurants and stuff like that. And the idea was to, like, okay, save up this money, go on a trip. I went around a few parts of Southeast Asia first and then came to Australia. Mm. And as soon as I came here and I was eating at a few places, I think I went for dinner at Old Palm Liquor. Not long after. Oh my God, so yeah, great. yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, Bar Liberty. And as soon as I got into. Yeah. I really, what I really enjoy about the scene here is how relaxed it is. Yeah. You know, I, and I've done the fine dine thing now. I did the fine dine thing in the UK with all the frills and the, the bits and pieces added, you know. And I think sometimes, like, the more you put in, you start to subtract away from what is actually there. Yeah. What I really enjoy about the sort of like the wine bar scene and these small plates is just like, it's so ingredient led. Mm. It's just quality ingredients, just used in the right way. And that's the way that my own cooking style was starting to develop as well. So as soon as I came here and I ate at these places and I was just like, yeah, I think this is, uh, this is going to be the place for me here. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. And, and where do, I mean, obviously it sounds like you get inspired from the produce um, and also from other places that you go to, but are you, do you look on Instagram? Have you got cookbooks? Well, you probably don't have cookbooks if you've come from the other side of the world. Yeah, but, um, that's true. Well, my cookbooks <laughs> are collecting dust back in the UK yeah. now, unfortunately, which is sad. But yeah, social media, I think, is playing such a huge role in the industry at the moment. Yeah. Across the whole thing, you know, obviously 
from a customer perspective, trying to pull people in, show people what you do, but also from other chefs, you know. Mm. Uh, most of the chefs I know, if you go through their Instagram feed, it's just food, dish, it's dish, 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 you know. And yeah. it's great to see that, you know, Absolutely. how people are doing things. And you can take inspiration from what other people are doing without, like, copying or, or you know, yeah. plagiarizing. You know, you wouldn't take that, but you might take a small idea or they've turned that into that. Like, what if I did, you know. Mm. So it's huge, really. And, and again, like I say, just dealing with suppliers and just being like, what do you have? One of something I one of my strengths I would say is something I really enjoy is to just like just have some random stuff in the fridge. I was like, we need a special for the weekend. What do we have? Like, what what what's on, what's special fish can we get? And what vegetables can we use? What can we put together with like a few things that we have available to us? Yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's like a mystery box. Exactly right. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun. And then when you come with something great, you're like, wow, that was you know. Yeah. It ticks all the boxes. It's cost-effective. It's stimulating. It makes you think about what you're doing as well. You know. It's... Do you have notebooks? Do you do you write down ideas or do you write down these specials and look back at them? Or... Yeah, often. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes we'll like make things in the week and we're like, okay, should we all special like five of them? And then that can go into the archives. And then when it comes to writing a new menu, like for me, new, like menus. Obviously, when I came here, I hadn't been here longer. Didn't change the menu straight away. It wasn't until January once we got that busy period out of the way that we changed the menu. To write a whole new menu for me, it, it can be quite daunting and, you know, especially you're trying to put like 16 new dishes on, by the time you get to like dish number 14, 15, you think, oh my God, I'm kind of running out of, of inspo here or whatever. Whereas what we do now is like we come up with these specials and things that really work, go into the archives, you write it down, you write the recipe down and then the new menu is just so organic because yeah. you then just have an arsenal of these dishes that you've created over a certain amount of time you know what's worked you know what's been received well by customers you know what's costed the right amount of money mm. and you know what's been a good product at the end of the day so yeah then the menu's right themselves you know it's yeah I was just thinking as you were saying that you know there's some of these flash restaurants that have um, where is it like um, El Bui used to do it in yeah. places in the UK where they spend six months in the lab working out their next six months you're kind of doing it as you're still doing it exactly yeah <laughs> we can't compare ourselves to places like that yeah. they have a team wow. of development chefs but you know it's not you know we the thing that's great about Neptune is like we, we have the freedom to do that amazing we yeah. can we can we like say with the specials we have midweek offers where we can manipulate it do what we want to do and and, and it's just really just about that customer interaction like are people enjoying the food how many people are ordering it is the main thing really you put a special on there and a few people order it, you think okay that's, that shouldn't really go on the main it might be cool we might like it but like we've sold 3 out of 10 yeah that's not enough no. to then warrant a place on a menu you know where you see some things will fly some things are really well received and then you start thinking how can we make this like equipped for the next menu or whatever you know so well, I guess with all that in mind and now that you've had a taste of um what it's like over here as well what would your advice be to a young person who maybe has just started their journey as a chef or who's thinking about being a chef just eat as much food as you possibly can and just eat out and eat out I did it when I was younger as well and, and going back to what you were saying about what inspires you you have to you have to have these experiences and I think also working in a variety of places no one likes what they would call a journeyman chef who will be like three months, three months, three months. Mm. But for me, like half a year to a year, if you're, especially when you're young, you can afford to do that. You will just pick up so much from different environments, different cuisines, different kitchen layouts, everything. And all that information will subconsciously be stored. And to the point where you've been doing that for 10 years, you can go into anywhere and do what you need to do. 
great advice. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. No, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Jake Reed at Neptune. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at neptune.melbourne. If you'd like to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef and I have a tendency to pop up the details of my latest chat there. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com. I would love it if you told a friend about my chats and of course you can follow me and give me a little review even on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Latterly, I've also been featured on Audible and Amazon podcasts. Once again, thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Bon appétit.